Let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we complete our series on the Beatitudes, next week we'll begin an Advent series. It's hard to believe, but it's here, the Advent season. And so let's read this passage once again in its entirety, beginning with the first verse in Matthew 5, seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do ask now, even as we complete this few weeks in this important passage, that you will draw it together for us. What you said then is important to us today because it's your word. For the disciples who were there, for the disciples who are here, And so, Lord, give us ears to hear, give us hearts open to you, and we pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was was the day after Thanksgiving. I had spent Thanksgiving Day on an airplane that went from Atlanta to Amsterdam, another plane, Amsterdam, to Dubai, another one from Dubai to Karachi, Pakistan. And so here I was in this, in some ways, world-class city, and I was being driven around by a man we call Jonah. That's not his real name. We can't publicly say his name because of the danger that he is in. Every time we came up to a a stoplight, which in that city is merely a suggestion, but when we would stop, the crowds would press in on us. The poor were at every street corner. And they would literally come right up 
to your window expecting you to give them alms because that's the way it's done there. Because people give alms to the poor because that's part of the way they earn their way to paradise. I was living in Atlanta at the time, but the city was overwhelming in terms of the press of the people. As we drove around, Jonah began to tell me about when he had been kidnapped. He had been taken captive by some radical extremist, taken away, kept for a period of time because he had converted from Islam to Christianity. He told me about what went on during that time. And as he told me, and looking around the city, I began to think, now, if he gets kidnapped again, would I rather be kidnapped with him or stuck in the middle of this city where I can't speak the language and I don't have any other contacts and know where I am. It was a tough call, actually, at that point. Later that night, I had preached in in the morning, but that night, we made our way to an apartment building. We walked up darkened stairs flight after flight, quietly, and we walked into an apartment. When I entered the apartment, I saw sitting in one room were the men on the floor, and on the floor in the room next to it, the women were sitting, and I was to stand in between those and preach the Word of God to them which I did. And then I served communion to them from a common loaf and a common cup. It was such a humbling experience. I will never forget it. Preaching the Word of God to those who were risking everything to follow Christ, literally risking everything, including their lives, to follow Christ. And we were there secretly worshiping God. That is the life of believers, not only in Karachi, but in many parts of the world. In fact, I got an email from Jonah this week And he said, the violence here is worse than it's ever been in his whole life. Pray for the believers, he said. Last Sunday was declared to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Maybe you've never heard of that. In our day, 70% of believers live in parts of the world where they don't have religious freedom. A recent report said nearly one-third of the globe's population, 2.2 billion people, live in countries 
where religious persecution increased between 2006 and 2009. I've read about, I have seen videos, and I have heard reports that I could not even share here with children present because of the kinds of graphic things that have taken place with believers in various parts of the world. But Jesus warned us of that. And he did in this passage. There is, for the believer, an inevitability of persecution. We read that in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and so on. Now, what a shock it must have been to the disciples that were there hearing Him preach this radical message to them that we've talked about for the last seven weeks. But for Him to get to the end and say, now look, if you do these things you're going to be persecuted. What a shock it must have been. After all, aren't those the qualities that this world needs? Aren't we, they might have thought, the kind of people that would be good for this world? Why would we be the target of persecution? In John 15, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's in John 15. Now, what is persecution according to the Matthew 5 passage? Well, he mentions several things specifically. If they uh, revile you, persecute you, and utter evil against you, reviling you, that's the same word used in the original that was used in what they were saying to Jesus when He was on the cross. Vile, awful, insults, making fun of, saying awful things about Him. Vicious. Persecute. is the idea of being harassed. Blessed are the harassed. Isn't the, do you see the irony of the kingdom? and utter evil against you. First century Christians experienced it shortly after this. Thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, covered in tar and lit on fire, tortured on the rack, They were falsely accused of cannibalism because of their celebration of the Lord's Supper. They eat flesh and blood 
was the accusation. Their love feasts were said to be nothing but but orgies. Their kiss of peace was said to be something illicit. That was the early Christians that he warned, you will face this. And that those things, and even worse, have happened to Christians ever since that time, generation after generation. What if we aren't being persecuted? If he says we will be persecuted, what if we aren't? Well, for one thing, we do need to thank God that we live in a free country. Last week, celebrated Veterans Day. We have freedoms here that others in parts of the world don't have, that were fought for. And we need to thank God for that. And that is one reason, one reason that we don't have the kind of persecution they have in other parts of the world. But I would challenge us to think of this. If we are not persecuted, maybe it's because we aren't being what He called us to be. Maybe if the church is going to be persecuted and we aren't, it's because we aren't being the church like He called us to be. There's a parallel passage to the Matthew 5 in uh, Luke 6. There you see basically the Beatitudes, but, but in Luke, it then goes on and gives some warnings, some woes they are called. And this is one of the woes. It says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets who got uh, spoken well of the false prophets here it is if we if we were to live like Jesus calls us to live here in the beatitudes if we are to be poor in spirit knowing that in and of ourselves we cannot earn our salvation if we are to mourn over our sin and live a life of meekness, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we are merciful and pure in heart, if we seek to be peacemakers, to the degree that you live out those first seven Beatitudes will likely be the degree that you will experience the eighth one. And that is persecution. Because we will not fit in with the world any longer. There will be a friction between us and those who just give lip service to God. And there will be hatred from those who don't love God. I've talked to you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the German... Lutheran pastor who was pastoring and and teaching 
during the rise of Adolf Hitler and under Nazism in that country. He said this about the Beatitudes. With every Beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people. In other words, those following Jesus and and the other people who were just there listening. The gulf is widened with every beatitude. And their call to come forth from the people becomes increasingly manifest. And so if we live a a life where we grieve over sin, where we are meek, we will invite the bullies to mistreat us. But not because we are weak, but because they are intimidated by those who really know God. Nobody bothers those who don't really know God, but claim to know God. They're not a problem. They're not a threat. So for people just going through the motions where their Christianity does not impact their life, you've got nothing to worry about. Jesus isn't warning you. Although He did say, woe to you if everybody out there loves you. So if we are not or have never been persecuted even verbally, Maybe it's because they can't tell us from the rest of the people who don't know Christ. Maybe we are not different enough. As I said earlier, we're in a minority in the world today. We can be thankful that uh, our persecution usually amounts to maybe a little bit of dislike. Let me tell you a little bit of my persecution record. I've had people say some unkind things about me. When I was pastoring in a small town uh, in Pennsylvania, I had somebody in the town say that I was a leader of a cult. When I worked for the Farmers Home Administration while I was in college and seminary, I had some people who knew I was... uh, headed toward being a pastor, derisively called me the Rev. I've had lots of doors closed in my face in walking around trying to share Christ. I've had angry phone calls. Those are the kind of uttering evil against me that I've had. And in our country, we know it's true that As Christians, we're the one religious group that can be spoken of badly and it's still politically correct. That's all true. But hold on a second. Let's get some perspective here. If I were to list those things and other things that have been said about me, in, a, in many other countries in the world, if I were to say, this is how I'm persecuted, the people there would gladly trade what they are facing for what I have to face. It's so minimal compared to what much of our world 
is facing. Look at the nature of persecution for which we will be considered blessed. In other words, there's a kind of persecution for which you're not going to be considered blessed, but if it's this kind of persecution, you will be. For righteousness' sake, verse 10, he says that. And 1 Peter 3 talks about the same kind of thing. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So that's one, one area if we suffer for righteousness' sake. Secondly, falsely, if we're accused falsely on account of Jesus. First uh, Peter 3, 16 and 17. Um, he says this, When you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Here's the point. There's no promise of blessedness for anyone who is persecuted just because they're hard to get along with and happen to be Christians. Or if you're persecuted because you're holier, you act holier than thou. Or if you're persecuted because you're judgmental of other people. Or if you're persecuted just because it's no fun being around you. Don't kid yourself. If you are persecuted, ask yourself, is it for righteousness' sake? Am I being accused falsely on account of Jesus? I've been around far too many Christians and those claiming to be Christians who are frankly just unpleasant to be around. And they get persecuted not because they're so much like Jesus, but because they're so much unlike Jesus. So we need to examine, if we are persecuted, why that's the case. And then our response. Every one of these Beatitudes is so radical, it goes so against our grain of what our response should be. I mean, for most of us, the response would be, run, (laughs) you know, flee if you're persecuted. And there's a time for that. But he talks about what's our emotional response to persecution. Rejoice and be glad. (laughs) What? Jesus? Really? The parallel passage in Luke says, leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. You see, we don't leap for joy because of the pain we feel in persecution. We rejoice Because of that which is to come. That which we are promised. And then He gives a comfort. He says, so they persecuted the prophets. Do you see what He's saying here? He's saying, look, if if you're persecuted, 
you're in good company. It's like a big support group. You are in with those who really followed God at all costs. Those who sought the Father and obeyed Him. Rejoice and be glad. Now, by way of application, I want to I challenge you to pray for the persecuted church. It is so easy for us to forget about them because we just don't have that much of it here. In your outline, I put one website. There are a number of websites that you can go to. And you can see various parts of the world and specific prayer requests from various parts of the world. And I would challenge you and encourage you to make that a part of your prayer life. Put yourself in their place. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ that we will spend eternity with. And they're suffering as we speak. How dare us not remember them. And then I would challenge all of us to be the church. And what I mean by that is not some institution, but be that which Christ radically called the disciples to. Live out this kingdom living that is so different from the world we live in. Understand the cost, but understand as well the reward. And that brings us to the last part of it, and that is for theirs, for ours, is the kingdom of heaven. That's the reward. Not for things we have done, but for all of these beatitudes. We've explained every single one of them and how the Gospel is in each one of these. And it's about what Christ has done. And in these, this brief portion of His message, <coughs> it comes full circle ending with the, this series with where he began, talking about the kingdom and the future. And here's why. Because what we believe and what we know about the future will determine how we live this life. What we really know about the future must determine how we live this life. When you die, if you are wrong about the future, you'll know at that point everything was at stake. Listen to the words from a notebook of one of the terrorists from 9-11. He said this. Listen to what he believed about the future. Purify your heart and... Clean it from all earthly matters. The time of fun and waste has gone. Those few hours that are left um, in your life are very few. 
but there you will begin to live a happy life, the infinite paradise. Read Al-Taba and Anfal. Those are the traditional war chapters from the Quran. He says, read those and reflect on their meanings. And remember all of the things that Allah has promised for more the martyrs. Know that the gardens of paradise are waiting for you all in their beauty, and the women of paradise are waiting, calling out, Come hither, friend of God. They are dressed in their most beautiful clothing. What he believed about the future determined what he did with his life. And he was wrong. We who follow Jesus believe that we should be governed by the future as well. Only our hope of reward leads to suffering for the infidels, not killing them. And that's what Jesus did. He suffered and He died the ultimate persecution for millions and millions of infidels, including us. And that's the Gospel. And He did it because He understood the future. He knew it. Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. So, dear friends, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on His account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The basis of our behavior is what we believe about our future. And that is your reward if you are in Christ. Your reward will be great. But this reward is fellowship with the one who chose to be persecuted for our sake, Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, quite frankly, it's hard to think about rejoicing and being glad if we we are persecuted, and yet that is precisely what you call us to. And so help us to know more and more what that means, that our reward will be great And that reward is being with you forever. And so, Lord, may our knowledge of that, that we've got nothing to lose here on this earth when we are in Christ, may that determine how we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.